This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We are in this brand new series called Christmas Miracles, and I've been uh, been planning and preparing and praying this entire year for this Christmas season, and I just want to tell you a couple things about this series. This is going to be a little bit of a different series for us, and if you've been here uh, any length of time, I think you know that we like to take a passage and break that passage down, and I love doing that, and we'll continue doing that. Uh, in fact, we're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Philippians, uh, starting in the new year. But um, I really felt led to cover the, the four, what I believe are the four greatest miracles of Christmas, um, for a couple reasons. And I want to just set the stage here. Number one, I want to cover these miracles because I believe that they give, give a platform for every person in this room to have faith. Now there are two types of people, and I said this in our team rally uh, today, there are people who uh, know they will doubt and prepare their faith to withstand the doubts. And there are a second group of people that I really want to try to remedy today, and those are people who, uh, like some of us, have maybe uh, kind of been deceived into thinking that we won't doubt, that we won't have fears, that we won't have things that will kind of start to kind of shake our faith. And I will tell you that Standing before you, I have had doubts about my faith. Because everything's fine when you're on, on Sunday morning, you know, hearing these truths or believing them. But I've had a couple friends commit suicide. I've had some, some trials in life. And when those things happen, what has been built into the fabric of your soul, not based on feeling, not based on someone else's faith, but based on what God has given you to know about who Jesus is and why Jesus came is so foundational. And so this first week is going to be extremely um, important for laying the foundation of our faith. And I believe the Advent, which starts today, which is a wonderful thing, the, the 25 days, you know, leading up to Christmas, you know, two turtle doves or whatever that whole song is, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. But, but I believe that the, the countdown is counting down to the single greatest event that ever had taken place up until the point that Jesus was born. Now, I have some friends in this room, and I don't, I, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, but I just want, want all of them to know that I know they're here, and I'm so thankful that they're here, because not everyone in this room is, like, buying into all of it, and I'm okay with that. I want you just to hear this out, and I also have some friends who are going to be listening to this who weren't able to come today, and, and they're sorting through their faith, and if we can't sort through our faith through the lens of truth in this room, where are we going to sort our faith out? Where are we going to sort our doubts out? How are we going to deal with our doubts if we're not going to deal with them at church? And so, we're going to dive into uh, a passage in a moment and really apply it. 
uh, to our hearts and to our lives and to our families and relationships. It's Matthew chapter 1, but before we get there, I'm going to give you kind of a two-part sermon, okay? So the introduction is the first part, and the actual sermon is the second part. So don't get worried if I'm going through an introduction. You're like, this is the introduction? Are you serious, okay? Uh, no, I, I just split it into two parts so that you would be able to understand where we're heading today. And, uh, and so uh, I've been praying a lot for this. And, 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 and so I just feel led to have one more word of prayer because I forgot to pray um, for, for some specific things uh, in, in regards to this message. And, uh, and so let's pray. Lord, I, I just want to have another word of prayer because I believe uh, that Satan is and, and the demonic, demonic forces are so opposed to what we're going to cover today. And so I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, you would give us the power uh, to be able to, Lord, not convince hearts. Lord, give us the power to be able to show the truth, to set someone free from their doubts, from the deception that has been cloaked over their hearts and minds for years. I pray that you would use these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are eight truths, eight miracles, eight predictions about Jesus that I want to cover today. And before we get into them, I want you to know that these have to do with miracles. So we're talking about Christmas miracles, and we're going to talk about the prediction miracle today. There are four big miracles, but this is a huge big one, and, and it is the biggest one. When I was 17 years old, I was having massive amounts of doubt, and I was having some relatives who were putting some pressure on me to, to, to not believe some things, and, and they, were, they were saying, I can't believe you just bought into this and that, and they were kind of placing these things in my heart and mind, and I didn't know where to turn or where to look, and so I started looking everywhere. And I started with the oldest religion, and I started working my way backward. And all the resources I knew to grasp onto, I went. I would go to the library, and I would uh, put out, look at all the books I could on all the different theories and, and try to search it up. And believe it or not, this is uh, dial-up inter internet time, so the internet search wasn't as uh, readily accessible uh, in, in Iowa where I lived. And I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, I'll date myself even more when we get to the end of the message um, and see if we can... Uh, try to, try to uh, bend, bend that back to the truth. But let me just say something about, about that search. It ended with me realizing that everyone believes in miracles. So every person in this room believes in miracles. You say, well, no, no, no. I'm one of those people you were talking about a few minutes ago who I don't believe in miracles. I believe in science. And then I kind of would like to just put out there the fact that science believes in miracles. <laughs> you know, there's many different things that scientists cannot tell you how it happens, why it happens. Let me just take one. Everyone last night dreamed. Now, you may not remember your dream, but you dreamed. And when you were in REM cycle, unless you work night shift, okay, I, I get that, okay, we have a few of you in here. But, but, but if, if, when you were dreaming, did you know that the, the, the world of science knows far more about the universe than what was happening inside your mind when you were dreaming. See, they can explore the universe as much as they can, but, but, but they can only see the activity from the outside of your mind. There's no technology, no way for them to get inside and to see your dreams. Praise Jesus, by the way. They cannot see our dreams. 
be really creepy. But I just want to tell you that a miracle as defined as something that you cannot explain that happens and you know it happens, but you cannot explain how it happens, that's called a miracle. And every single night when you dream, you are working a miracle because it's something that God is doing in you. And we know the benefits. We know it helps our mind. We know it resets our psyche and all of that. But science cannot figure out why and how and all the ins and outs. And that's just one element. Go back to how it all started, and now everyone is starting to go back to, you know what, oh no, you know what, Big Bang really makes a lot of sense, you know. And I, I always joke with my atheist friends, I believe in the Big Bang. I believe, you know, God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. So, so, so I do believe that, that it all came, that something came from nothing. I just am, I refuse to place all of my Hope and dreams and faith into chance. I choose to place my hope and faith and dream into a designer called God. Now, so, we're, we're all going to have faith and we're all going to believe in miracles. It's just what type of miracles are you going to believe in? Now, here's, here's where my journey is, just so you know my bias, okay? When, when I was unbiased, when I was looking at all the different sides, didn't know what to believe, I, I, I really had to be honest with myself and to some of my relatives that it would have taken me more faith to not believe in God and the, and, and the Jesus of the Bible than it would have been for me to become an atheist. So that's the evidence that I found. Now some of you are on, on your own journey. You're going to have to find your own evidence and I'm going to give you some tools to do that. But just right out of the gate, I'm going to give you a lot of information. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose, but I want you to be able to take this information, and when, and, and when the devil starts to kind of creep into your ear, or you see a YouTube video, or someone sends you a link that says, you know, we found the smoking gun, the missing link, or well, there's lots of missing links, by the way, but, but you know, here it is, you know, this disproves it all. Come back to this. Save this. Save this little outline and come back to this and just rehearse this. And I want to go through eight parts to this prediction miracle. Okay, so eight parts to this prediction. Now, there are many more. In fact, there are more than eight. There are 330 predictions that came to pass in Jesus. Now, a lot of those are, are very similar in nature, okay? So if you had to boil it down, it would be about 110 so 110 unique, specific things that people who did not know Jesus or his family were not connected in any way, did not have anything to gain by making that prediction. Actually, they had a lot to lose, credibility-wise. They made these predictions, and they all came to pass. Every single one of them. There's not one that didn't come to pass. Now, I'm just going to deal with eight, okay? So I'm going to deal with eight, and, and, and because... We don't have all day, okay, so I'm going to deal with these eight, and then we'll kind of, we'll, we'll reference them after this a little bit. First of all, Isaiah predicted, um, Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 9, 6, uh, that Jesus' name and mission would be uh, a specific name and a specific mission. So you say, well, Mary and Joseph could have just, you know, been in on the whole thing. They could have known that that prediction, they could have named him. And then, okay, well, let's go with that. Do they have control over his mission? Okay, parents of adult children, do you have control over what your adult children do? 
I think not. Okay, but let's just keep going. We'll get to that verse in a minute. Micah predicted Jesus' birth location. Now let me tell you, we have some friends in New York. They were going to their birth location last week, and they had their baby right on one of the busiest intersections in New York City. In an ambulance, of course. So, so you can try to predict the birth location, okay? But, but it's very difficult. Now let's talk about something that no one had any control over. And that was Micah predicted in the same verse, Micah 5, 2, 5, 1 through 3, we'll see it in a second. Micah predicted the exact political climate. So this was something that was predicted hundreds of years before, and lo and behold, the exact political climate, the exact people who were in charge, who said he was going to be in charge, was in charge. Uh, number four, Isaiah predicted Jesus would be born of a virgin. Do you know it's interesting that a lot of people claim to be Jesus leading up to Jesus' life? Over the 400 years, there were about seven or eight people who claimed to be the Messiah. Not Jesus, but the Messiah. And they were false predictions, of course, and they all kind of fizzled out. But you know not one of them had a mother who claimed to be a virgin? Not one of them. And so Jesus was the only one. You say, well, they could have just said that. They could have just claimed that. Well, yeah, but you know what's interesting is lots of other religions point to the fact that she was a virgin. Did you know that the Quran speaks more of Jesus than it does Muhammad? Do you realize that? Do you realize that lots of other religions attest to the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin? You know, lots of other religions attest to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Even the, the, the secular Jews will say, yeah, it's pretty solid that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't know how he did it, but it's pretty solid. Solid? I mean, so when you have, you know, two of the, of, of the largest religions kind of affirming the foundations of the, Christian, of the Christian's faith, doesn't that seem a little bit like head-scratching to you? Okay? Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be rejected by his own people. So one of the theories that I, I was told as a teenager is, well, they were all in on it. It was a big scheme. They were in on it, but they rejected him. You can't have it both ways. And then some people say, well, they were just really brilliant. I mean, it was a brilliant scheme, and it was a lot of money that flew, flowed through it. I mean, there was like people paying people off, and it's like, well, wait a second. So everyone knows that, that Mary and Joseph weren't rich. They weren't a part of some grand scheme, Illuminati, Right? So, so either they weren't rich and they didn't know anything uh, or they didn't have any resources to be able to pull off a big stunt like this or they were super rich and just acted like they were poor. Really? You know what I mean? See how far-fetched that gets? And so he was rejected by his own people. And so there was not a whole lot of control over that as well. Then Zechariah predicted that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The exact amount that Judas betrayed Jesus by. Uh, David predicted the exact details of Jesus' death and burial. Over 35 details, actually exactly 35 details of Jesus' death and burial were predicted in the Psalms and also throughout the, the Scriptures. Specifically how he would die and where he would die and what they would do with his clothes and where he would be laid and the type of person that owned the tomb and every little detail about his death. Now let me tell you something. I did my grand grandmother's funeral last uh, yesterday and, and when I stood up to speak, I mean they had a really good cue card. 
But I'm telling you, not everything went as planned, including what I said, right? I just said read some scripture. I added a little. Why? Because I'm a Baptist preacher. I mean, come on. So here's the point. Everything went as planned according to the scriptures, and a lot of the people who were, who were following this plan didn't even know the scriptures. They had never read it. I mean, these are like pagan Roman guards. These are people who, who didn't have a knowledge of prophecy. Okay? So uh, then Moses and David predicted Jesus' defeat of Satan and, and the resurrection. Now, I think both of those are important. Because not only was, was David predicting that Jesus would rise again from the dead on the third day, but Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in Genesis 3.15 that, that Jesus would come and he would crush Satan's head. So he would be bit on the heel by Satan, the serpent, but he would then crush Satan's head. Now, how in the world could any mere man crush the, 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 the ruler of darkness, his head? And so all of these predictions were made, both physically, spiritually, uh, you know, historically. All of these were made, and all of these have not just been confirmed by Scripture, but by historians, by archaeological facts, by everything that you could go to from, the, from outside Scripture to, to attest. These eight, and there aren't just eight, there are over a hundred specific, and, and if you count all of the duplicates and all of the different th similar predictions, it's over 330. Let me tell you the odds of that for one person in this room having eight predictions before you were born come true. Let me tell you the odds of that. Okay? The odds are like if, and by the way, I'm going to use a different illustration than I'll use an illustration that some of you may have heard. But the odds are if I signed a golf ball, which I did, and I teed off, uh, or I flew to some course, there's 12,000 courses in the United States, and I flew to some course, and, and they had just had a hailstorm across the entire, the entire country. And so every golf course looked like this, okay? Hail everywhere. This actually happened in Colorado once. This is why I thought of it. And if I took this one golf ball, signed it, and I teed it off in an undisclosed location, and I handed you the name of 12,000 golf courses, and I said, my golf ball's there, and I'll give you a million dollars. It's on one of these courses. Don't do any research. Just pick one. Go get a golf cart. Go to one fairway and pick up one piece of hail, and hopefully it's the golf ball. If you reach down and grab it, that, that would be about the odds. Let me show you the number of zeros. So it's quintillion, right? <laughs> okay. 17 or 18 zeros. So the odds of just eight of these coming to pass for one person is one to the 17th power. So let me give you Paul Newman, who, who was a researcher, teamed up with Peter W. Stoner, who was, who, was, who was a scientific genius, and they wrote a book called What Are the Odds? And they studied what are the odds of all these predictions coming to pass for Jesus. And this is what they said. By the way, this is accepted by the scientific community. Okay? Just the odds. They're not saying, they, you know, they, they're believers. Okay? They're saying 
this, these, these odds are correct. And here's what they said. They said if you took one silver dollar and put an X, a red X on it, and you took it in a, in a helicopter and you dropped it somewhere in the state of Texas, and if you dropped that silver dollar in the state of Texas and then you took all of the money in the world and you put it all the currency into silver dollars and you filled the state of Texas, okay, our largest continental state, you filled the state of Texas a foot deep with silver dollars and you blindfolded one person and said you have one chance to pick up the silver dollar with one X on it and you dropped that person in some obscure location and, and they sorted through it for a few days blindfolded and they picked up one silver dollar. They had one chance and they picked up one silver dollar. The entire state's filled with silver dollars and if they picked up that one silver dollar, that would be the chance that, that these eight, just these eight coming to pass. So, so this, is why, this is why when I tell you that it would be greater faith for you to believe that everything came from nothing and just to believe that Jesus was just some great prophet or he just was, it's just a big scheme, it would be greater faith. And, and in fact, many times I'll tell my atheist friends, like, I respect your faith because I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And that's not a put down. I literally knew after I did some of my research that, that it's going to take way more faith for me to make the leap toward chance than to believe in Jesus Christ. So with that being said, I, I want to I I move into the second half here. Because there are two applications as a result of these predictions. This is a miracle. But it's a miracle that begs a response. And I want you to see there's just two, okay? There's just two responses. There's two ways to apply these truths. If this miracle is true, and I'm saying that it is, okay, based on my research, you do your research, okay, I've, I've already started, you go fact check all this, okay, you look up these verses, you, you find out what the Bible says, you find out what's true and what's not true, but when you come back to the fact that yes, it's a miracle, and yes, I need to respond to it somehow, let me just tell you some ways to respond, okay, Ho hopefully this will be a help to you. Number one, I think it's important to remember that this miraculous prediction was a king named Jesus would come to rescue us. That it was a, all these predictions are, are, are telling us that a king named Jesus would come to rescue us. Now, in our, in our text that we're going to be kind of working through uh, the next 10 minutes, okay, the, the end of the service, I, I want you to see... That, that there are five predictions, and I'm not going to go through all these five, but there are, there are several predictions in Matthew 1 and 2. And I want you to read these predictions so you can kind of see what the, what the angel was saying to Joseph. And then I want you to see how we can respond to it, okay? So guys, put up Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21. And she, this is Mary, shall bring forth a son and shall call his name, everyone say it together, Jesus. Now, by the way, that's the Greek name for Jesus. We're, we're, we're reading this as a transliterated. So it's Isus, okay, or Jesus. That's, that's the Greek name. The, the Hebrew name was Yeshua, okay, which, which means salvation belongs to the Lord, 
Okay, so, so he, he's coming to save his people, for he shall save his people from their sins. So, he, so, so Matthew would have written down, his name shall be Yeshua, or Joshua. And, and he's going to save his people through, uh, from their sins. We'll get into that in a second. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Everyone say fulfilled. Everything was done to fulfill the predictions that God had made about his son coming. And so he predicted that a king would come to rescue us from our sin, out of our sin, out of our current situation. And it specifically starts to name where he was and who he would be born to and how it would happen, which we'll get into in a second. One thing I want you to realize, letter A, is that God knows your location and your situation. God knows your address God knows your name. God knew your name before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. We're going to talk about that next week. The, the miraculous conception of Jesus in, in Mary's womb is no accident. This was not happenstance. It was providence. And so this is what the Bible says specifically uh, about Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 2. If we continue reading kind of the next chapter, we'll come back to this. It says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they knew the location. This was, this was pro- prophesied 500 years before of Judea in the days of Herod the king. That was prophesied as well by Daniel. Behold, there, was, there, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. They had read the predictions. So God knew what they needed. Now in, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the miraculous protection of Jesus. And when the wise men came and brought gifts, did you know that's how Mary and Joseph paid for their trip down to Egypt? They didn't have money to go on an excursion down to Egypt. God brought people from Asia, modern day Asia. He brought them all the way from Asia, these oriental magi, to give gifts to them so that they could then make the travel down to Egypt to spare the life of the coming Messiah. God loved you so much, he did everything he could to bring Jesus to you in a miraculous way so that not only you would believe, but you would know he's watching you. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your location. And so Jesus is wanting to be that person who's, who's intimately tied to your life, and he knows what's going on. In fact, Micah, when I said this was the political climate of the day, it says, Now gather thy in thy troops, O daughter, daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us, and, and that they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, by the way, there was a lot of smiting going on. There was a lot of, lot of battles going on in Israel's day, and it was ramping up for 400 years up until the point that Jesus was, 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 was born. And he was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Uh, Though thou be little among Judah, out of thee shall come forth unto me uh, a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. So Jesus was, was predicted to come. So here's the key thought that I want you to get, and it is this, that God can use what we call terrible to do what we think is impossible. Now let me give you a story, because sometimes we say that, and it's like, I know God can do the impossible, but I'm not really buying into the whole miraculous thing. Let me give you something. 
1931 on Christmas Eve, there was a couple who was in their, their old pickup truck. It was kind of an old beater, okay? And they were, they were, in, um, they were in Florence, um, Arizona. They were in Florence, Arizona, and they were, they were just going out for a stroll out in the, out in the desert, kind of cutting through some, some, some desert roads to get to a friend's house, 1931. And, and right before they, they got to the house, about five minutes out, their truck broke down. And right when their truck broke down, they, he, the, the man you know, got his lantern, started trying to fix it. And as he's trying to fix it, the wife just felt like, you know what? While you're fixing it, I'm just going to get some fresh air out in the night sky, in the desert. She just felt led. So she walked about a, 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 a football field length, okay, away from the truck. And when she walked around the corner, she heard something in the distance. And she kind of followed the noise, like, what was that? It didn't, didn't sound like an animal. It didn't sound anything, you know, suspicious or anything that scared her. But, 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 but as it was night... And, and the only light she had was moonlight. She walked around the corner and she found a hat box. And in that hat box was a brand new infant that they named Sharon. If they would not have broken down in that exact place at that exact time, and if she did not just happen to go for a walk around the ridge, just happened to, she would not have found that child. Now, let me tell you something. Put yourself in that hat box. God knows what ridge you're by. God knows the situation you're in when no one else does. God's watching. God cares. Don't let Satan tell you that what's happening is so terrible that nothing good can come from it. Let, let me tell you, God knows how to do the impossible with what we call terrible. And so when we're talking about miracles, God can do that. If God could do it in 1931, God can do it today. And so we need to understand that God is a miracle-working God. By the way, that's a, that, 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 had a police, that was straight from a police report. That wasn't like someone making that stuff up. That, that they brought it to the Florence, uh, Arizona police station. That, that, was, that was documented. That was not something that just happened. Uh, Sharon's, Sharon's story was documented. And so a lot of times we want, it's easier for us to be skeptical than it is for us to be surrendered. And so John tells us that, that he was coming out of Bethlehem into uh, Nazareth, and, and that Nazareth was not a great place to live, but, but God still knew that, 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 that he was going to raise him out of Nazareth. We'll talk about that in a minute, but not only does God know your location and your situation, but God desires to govern our lives through grace. He wants to govern your life through grace. He didn't just miraculously bring Jesus into this world at Christmas time just so that we would ooh and ah and give presents to one another and light Christmas trees. All of that is great. All I'm saying is that Jesus came for a specific purpose and his purpose was to lead us toward redemption, to lead us into a pathway of grace. And this is what Galatians 4 says about this miracle of prediction. I want you to see this. Even so, we, when we were children... We're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, to rescue them, right? The king came to rescue us, to rescue them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
And because we are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Do you know what Christmas says? Christmas doesn't just say that Jesus came as God's son. Christmas says that Jesus came to make you family. And when we know we're family, everything changes. We don't try to live out our own identities. We don't try to, uh, to, 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 to do things on our own without God. No, we can cry, Abba, Father, which is uh, one of the only Aramaic things that is actually written in the Aramaic language in the, in the Scripture. And the reason why is because it carried so much passion and so much love. Abba, Father. And so the, 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 the key thought here is that everyone serve something but it is sin that seeks any king but Jesus everyone serves something you will serve money money's not wrong it's a great servant though and it's a terrible master you 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 will you will serve people and, and pleasing people and listen people are great love people serve people but but but, but don't make people your master, don't, listen, any king but Jesus is a terrible king to serve. And so we must place Jesus on his rightful throne. In fact, Isaiah 9, 6, verse 7, says, or 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to be responsible for the government one day. He's not responsible now. I want you to know that, 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 that he's going to rule and reign, but his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and his increase of his government and his peace shall be to no end. Uh, and, and upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Let me tell you something. That God will one day reign, rule, and, and, and totally reign and rule over this earth. But let me just tell you right now, we have the choice to make him ruler of our lives. To put him in his rightful place. So number one, he came to rescue us. Number two, a Nazarene named Emmanuel would uh, would dwell with us. So go back to the passage that we're kind of going through. And, and the final thing that we can see is that it says that what would be fulfilled, we said something would be fulfilled, it would be fulfilled that was spoken by the Lord, by the prophets. So when prophets spoke, it was scripture directly from the Lord. The Holy Spirit moved them. So when I'm speaking, I'm speaking from the word of God, something that's already been proclaimed, okay, from the outside, from God himself, from the creator to man, okay? But then you say, well, how can we trust these prophets? Well, what did they say? Let's see what they said. Well, they said, behold, a virgin shall conceive with child. Well, they, that, that was the claim. And shall bring forth a son. That was another claim. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. That was another claim, which being interpreted is God with us. Wait a second. I thought his name was going to be Yeshua. I thought his name was going to be Jesus. I, I, thought, I thought his name was going to be you know, Jesus. Uh, I, I thought it was Jesus. Why is it Emmanuel? How, how does he have two names? And I've had a lot of people say that. You know, you know, name one time when Jesus was called Emmanuel. And I take him to this pastor. No, he said it was going to be called Emmanuel. And I said, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. How many middle names do you have? 
You know, like one, two, sometimes none. Okay, whatever. Would it be okay if I called you by your middle name? No, I want to be called by my first name. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that Emmanuel was Jesus' middle name. All I'm saying is that Jesus was God with us. It was his title. His name was Yeshua. His given name was Yeshua, but his title was Emmanuel, meaning I am God with you. You know what's incredible to me? Is if the religious leaders would have once asked, hey, where was this guy born? Does anyone know? Was he born in Nazareth? They just assumed he was born in Nazareth. You know, if one of them would have asked where he was born, I think there would be many people. You know what? I believe that that was hidden from their hearts and their consciousness as a, as a, as a term of judgment that, that God brought on them. Do you know why? Because a lot of people say, well, if God spoke to me audibly, I would believe. A lot of times they'll say, no, you wouldn't. Because he's spoken a lot to you and you still haven't believed. You know, you know, rich man Lazarus, you know, what, you know what God said? He said, you wouldn't believe the prophets that were standing right in front of you. And so we have to believe the written word of God, the fact that God told us he would come down to us. I love this Tim Keller quote. It says, Christmas is telling you that you couldn't get to heaven on your own and God had to come to you. God came to you. And so, letter A, God is still with us. God never left. Just because God, Jesus uh, isn't physically with us doesn't mean that God isn't with us. Jesus left his spirit to be with us, to guide us into all truth, and to leave us with the word of God. Now, how do we know that Jesus then left the spirit? Well, you know what? He was a Nazarene, and, 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 I, and I, a lot of times I've missed that. In fact, in, in, in Matthew, when it says in Matthew chapter 2 that he was a Nazarene, Okay, so he's from Nazareth. What's, why is that so important? The word Nazarene, it, it, it means to a sprout or a root. It, it means a, a sprout or a root, but it also means to keep watch, guard, to protect, to serve, uh, to, to observe. It was, it was something that was used to describe someone who was serious about taking something and growing it. And you know, the picture that is given for Nazareth, the, the word Nazareth, is something that has died that is not useful that brought forth life. I want you to give you a picture. Something that was cut off at the trunk, now having life. Do you know everything that had been dead, everything that had all of the religious system, everything that the law had, had brought to a, a, a halt, everything that had come to a halt was dead in the law and was brought to life in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 53. He said this, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. I believe that's talking about him coming out of Nazareth. He hath no form or, nor comeliness. And when he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And uh, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and esteemed him not. And surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, 
transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, it says. All we like sheep are gone astray. We are turned away, everyone, uh, his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what the final proof is? And I saved this for last before we end. You know the final proof is? That God exists, that Jesus is who he is, and that he did what he said he did. Sin. The fact that you are a sinner and that I am a sinner, and the fact that we recognize our sin tells us that there's truth. In fact, I broke it down in a chart. Let me show this to you. If sin exists, truth has to exist. If sin does not exist, if you don't admit that anything is wrong, I mean, you can do whatever you want, then, then you're saying, okay, well, sin doesn't exist and truth doesn't exist. So what's true to you is true to you and what's true to me is true to me. Well, that doesn't work when what's bad to you is bad to you and what's bad to me is not bad to you. I mean, it, it, it's either wrong or it's right, okay? So, so no one is, 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 is all up for, you know, you know, horrible acts of, you know, in society, okay? So we all have limits, and if we have any limits at all, we have to acknowledge that there's something on the outside giving us those limits. Because if it was something on the inside giving us those limits, then it would just be up for, sub, you know, it would be a, not objective. It would be subjective. So we have to acknowledge that if sin exists, then we're just by default acknowledging that truth exists. If truth exists, there has to be an outside truth giver. And if there's an outside truth giver, which I believe there is, if that truth giver exists, then miracles have to exist. Why? Because you're acknowledging a miracle. You're acknowledging that somehow the creator or an outside force gave us information that we didn't have previously. Can I tell you, there's so much information in here that man did not come up with on its own. Not just information about spiritual stuff and relationships. I mean, I'm talking about information about how the body works and how the world works and even the shape of the world was predicted by the Bible and told us by the Bible years before it was believed. And there's still people probably in this room who believes the world's flat. So, and I'm not bagging on you if you believe the world's flat, just look at the globe, but my point is this. I believe that miracles exist. Not just because someone told me, but because I believe that there was an outside truth giver. How else would we get this truth? And, and wh why would we need this truth? Because I'm a sinner. Because I need boundaries. And if we don't have boundaries, our whole world goes to hell in a handbasket, right? So we gotta have boundaries because we know that we're sinners. Because of our iniquity, because of our transgression that Jesus came to rescue us, to pull us out of, we can now come to the miraculous. And you cannot confront the miraculous without at least considering Jesus. Because there was no one else who ever walked the face of the planet who did more verifiable miracles and whose presence and whose prediction was absolutely miraculous. And when we finish this series, you all are going to be witnesses of the fact that the Jesus being the Son of God is a miracle. Jesus coming to this earth at Christmas is not just something... Oh, yeah, okay, Christmas, Christmas, let's just get this over with and drink our eggnog. No, it is a modern-day, fabulous, incredible miracle. And so the miracle of prediction ends not just with God being with us, but God being for us. And so as we close today, I want you to understand that God is for us. And here's the takeaway. 
It is this, that the same God who planned his son's birth, his life, his death, has a personal plan for you and for me. You know, when I was praying over this and just asking the Lord, you know, how, how can I illustrate this? I thought about before smartphones, dumb phones, okay? I thought, what did I do? And I remember one of my first youth rallies that I went to go talk about this stuff at. I remember I had to get a MapQuest. I could not believe MapQuest was still online. This is a MapQuest. I printed it out this week. MapQuest. You used to not listen to the directions. You'd have to drive. Talk about cell phones being dangerous. This was dangerous. You know, it's like, okay, turn. Oh, I missed it. You know, it's like, and then, and then they give you a real helpful map. You know, you know how helpful this is? Not at all. You know why? Nope. Can't do it. Not happening. Oh, you want to see the turn? Sorry, it's printed. Can't do it. Now listen, I, I, I get how I'm kind of, you know, generationally showing my age, but I'll tell you this. I'm thankful for smartphones. You know why? You get live update information. You say, well, that's not that bad. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Come on. I mean, it was bad. This is how bad it was. I landed on a Friday night at uh, Reagan International Airport in D.C. I was speaking right outside D.C. Got my rental car. Had my MapQuest. Flipped open the page, started driving. Now, if you have ever lived out east or gone out east, the signs are not like our signs out here, okay? The signs are this small. They're this small, and, and, and they're like right when the turn is. So it's like, well, there was your turn. Okay, well, now I have to go all the way around the city to come back to my turn, okay? So I got lost in D.C., and it was like 10 or 11 at night on a Friday night, and I'm passing, you know, the Lincoln Memorial and the White House. I mean, I'm like literally passing all these monuments, and I'm like, this would be great if I was like actually wanting to see these things, but I just want to get on the freeway! So finally, I see a parking lot. I'm like, finally a parking lot. And I see a guy in a little guard shack. I'm like, I'll go ask that guy. Pulled into the parking lot. I think we have a picture of the parking lot that I actually pulled into. Pulled into the parking lot. And right as I pulled into the parking lot, I, I, I saw people coming toward me. I'm like, great, they're going to help me with my directions. Little did I know, I had just pulled into the parking lot of the Pentagon. Pulled right in the parking lot. Not only did they not help me with directions, they showed me where the exit was, okay, with M16s. Leave now, okay? We don't care where you're going or where you came from or where you need to be. Leave. And so eventually I finally found where I was going. And, 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 but let me just tell you something. When God gave us the prediction of Jesus, he was not just giving us facts for our faith. He was giving us a roadmap for our redemption. And he was giving us a play-by-play of how much he cares about each and every one of us and how every piece of information and every little detail he cared about. And let me just tell you something. He didn't just leave it in a map quest. No, no, no. It was way better than that. 
He put it in your heart. And he put the Holy Spirit of God inside your heart to say, no, 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 no. That's not why Jesus came. No, I didn't make you for that. That's not your purpose. That's not your mission. Jesus came to reconnect us with God. And that connection is found not just in who Jesus was, but in why Jesus came. And Jesus came so that you could have a relationship with God. You say, great, I have a relationship with God. That's awesome. Let me tell you why you were put on this planet. And it was not to eat or overeat as I did this week. It was not to live your life in a career. It was to live your life for this purpose. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. It says this, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He predicted this thing, guys. He predicted this. To be conformed to the image of his son. His purpose for you before the world began was predicted and, and the prediction was that you would be made like Jesus in your actions, in your attitudes, in your relationships, in your family to be like him. That he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Can I tell you something, church family? I just spent time with over 83 of my relatives. And I want you to know that I have more in common, as much as I love them dearly and I loved being with them, I have so much more in common with this group right here than I do with all 83 of my crazy relatives. I love them dearly. A few of them may actually listen to this. And they know that I love them, and they know it was crazy. But let me just say, the reason I say that is because, do you know what bonds this group together? It is not a location. It is not, it is not a social gathering. Certainly not age. Certainly not cultural backgrounds. Certainly not anything else socially. Do you know what bonds us together? The fact that we are the firstborn among many brethren. He said, I want you to be a part of my family. I was rejected by my family, Jesus said. He came into his own. His own received him not. But Jesus said, but I want to receive you. I want to accept you into my beloved, into my family. And as many as received him, to them gave he the power, John said, to become the firstborn sons of God. So why it says firstborn? Yes, Jesus comes first. Yes, Jesus is the prophet preeminent one but he doesn't want you to feel like a last child or a middle child me doesn't want to want you to feel like an outcast or one of 83 he wants you to feel exactly how he made you predicted loved accepted unbelievably uh pre predicted that you would be a part of his family that you would be loved and in this christmas season Let's go turn that love to everyone else and say, no, what I believe is true and who I serve is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.